And back with another edition of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Yeah, here on Talk Radio AM 640. Contact is simple. You'll want to get a hold of Savan anytime. His number right with him is 416-216-5910. And email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the uh, injury calculator here in just a bit, give you details on how to use that and what a wonderful tool it is. But first, we always start, uh, pardon me, for the week that was. Right, pal? Yeah, let's, yep. let's start that uh, going. Uh, so, John, again, a very busy week. Let me give you uh, um, uh, two cases uh, yeah. that came across my desk. Uh, one of them was actually a few weeks ago, but I'll, t- I'll tell you about it because there's been uh, a development. And the other one is really, really interesting. Let me just read off uh, the email notes that I have here. So we have a gentleman who called me after listening to the show last week. He was in a car accident in 2007. The other driver was at fault. Uh, he's been off at work uh, since that car accident. So we're talking about since eight 2008 years. years. Wow. Uh, he was a car mechanic. Uh, and he had uh, knee and back pains, uh, severe ones, as a result of this accident. Now, apparently, he received the settlement from his own insurance company, so accident benefits. Yeah. He resolved that within about a year. Uh, and, and then uh, the lawyer that he had that was dealing with the other driver, whoever was at fault for the accident, in 2012, five years after the accident, yep. just simply disappeared. It just, no show, N- nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. Uh, and this gentleman tried to contact him uh, quite a lot. Eventually, he filed a complaint with the Law Society, which is the body governing us lawyers. Smart. Okay. Uh, and in 2013, retained another lawyer to sue his prior lawyer because his claim against the person who re-rendered him got dismissed yep. from the court. Uh, and what he found out uh, was that that lawyer that he had, that he had the retained, original lawyer, the original lawyer yeah. uh, apparently uh, had so many claims against him that uh, the, the funds were depleted from the law society or, or, or there was very little money left there uh, in the bank with all these claims because so many people were making a claim. And, of course, I told him, listen, there's nothing I can do. Clearly, this lawyer was a bad apple. Clearly, uh, there were numerous claims against him. And, unfortunately, you are at the bottom of the totem pole right now, yeah. despite the fact that you can't go back to work. You were owed this money. We can't do anything with the original claim. So the reason I am telling people about this is you have to really be careful and do your homework in terms of who you get to represent you, uh, your family, friends, uh, your, your uh, uh, family members, uh, if they're incapacitated. You have to make sure that uh, the people that you hire to represent you in a claim for personal injury know what they're doing. They have a reputation. It's a solid firm. Uh, it's, a, it's a firm that's been there for a long time because I'm telling you, this guy, based on everything that I've seen and my assessment of the case is that this case is, is, is literally worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or perhaps even more than a million dollars. I mean, he, he's a fairly young individual. And for him not to have been able to go back to work as a mechanic, just imagine what his family is going through. So, uh, you know, for everybody out there, if you have a lawyer, make sure that you're in constant communication with that lawyer, with the lawyer's office, the assistant, the paralegal, yeah. the law clerk. There cannot be a situation where there is simply uh, uh, no communication. If there is a blackout, you make sure you're on it, uh, you know, very, very quickly. You don't want to be in the situation this this gentleman found himself in. So, if if someone like uh, you know on the outset is is looking for a lawyer, can they phone the law society and that like is there like a better business bureau for lawyers? Can they make recommendations? Can they can you start there? They don't know you, obviously. Well, the law, yeah, the law society will not make recommendations. You can go on the law society website and yeah. you can search uh, for members, but it, all it is is a database. Uh, you can also call the Law Society for a referral, but really the Law Society is not going to necessarily uh, check every lawyer uh, that right. puts themselves or pay the fee, the annual fee, to be on that referral list. Uh, the Law Society is simply there to direct you to some lawyer who deals in this area. Well, this lawyer clearly was dealing with that area. I mean, that lawyer this right. gentleman went to did personal injury and, and seems like resolved his 
uh, first-party claim with his own insurance company a year after the accident. But then that was it. That was it. So yeah. be very, very careful. These claims, again, should not take years and years and no. years to resolve. If you have an ongoing claim and it's been ongoing for years and years and years, something is wrong. I'm not saying that they, they resolve overnight, but I'm saying that if you know it's been a year or two and you haven't heard anything from your lawyer, check with your lawyer. Just make sure they're still there. Gotcha. What's the second one you got? Second one is a long-term disability case. And um, so this is a lady who called me about three weeks ago, again, after listening to, to the radio uh, and, and uh, hearing me speak. And, and this is a typical case that I see regularly. This is a 52-year-old woman uh, mm-hmm. recovering after breast cancer surgery. And she's told by her long-term disability insurer to try a return to work program. So they want her to try and get back to work. Why? Because it means that if she can, they don't have to pay her. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, except that her oncologist provided a report against such an attempt at this time. In other words, the oncologist, the person who's treating her, is saying to the insurance company, she is not ready. What does the insurance company do? What does the adjuster say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have to try to get back to work. You have an obligation under the policy. Of course, she's panicking. So she called me. I said, do not panic. Don't worry about it. Uh, she retained me to deal with the adjuster, which means she doesn't have to deal with this person right. anymore. I'm the one speaking with the adjuster. Now she can I relax. gave him a call. Exactly. I gave him a call. I wrote him a letter, explained, uh, uh, provided some more uh, information from the oncologist. And, and, and I'll tell you, the, the adjuster backed off. And it seems like her benefits are going to get, uh, they're not going to get cut off. We've averted that. That doesn't mean that she won't get cut off in the future. But I'll tell you, right now at least, she has peace of mind. And this is something that I see quite often with adjusters, with insurance companies, you know, who are very fast to, to, uh, to uh, pull the trigger and, and they want to force you or they want to compel you to go back to work and they're threatening with a cutoff. And a lot of times it's inappropriate. You're struggling, you're trying to get better, you're working with your uh, specialist, with your family doctor. It, it, the adjusters should not be pressuring you to go back to work, especially when it's against medical advice. So for people out there, if you're in that situation, just give me a call. Let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Make it a level playing field, Make it right? a level playing yeah. field. Then the insurance company knows that if they were to cut this lady off, not only would I start a claim for reinstatement, I would be claiming a lot of punitive damages against right. the insurance company. We'll take a short break, guys. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, the number 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savan anytime. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up. Talk radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show to get a hold of Savan, very simple, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here in just a minute, got them coming through. First, I want to get into this as promised in the uh, the beginning of the show, injurycalculator.ca. Give us some details. All right, John. So we've been talking about this for months and months now. Very popular tool. It's been used widely across the province, across Ontario. It's something my team and I... Uh, uh, created uh, a while back. And what it is, is it's, it's a free and anonymous uh, online uh, website that allows people to simply go on, uh, go on it uh, and, and just input a few pieces of simple information, such as uh, your, your uh, age, uh, the accident that you mm-hmm. had, what kind of accident, you know, a whole bunch of things like that. And then it tells you how much money you could potentially be expecting or could potentially get for your pain and suffering uh, in the eventuality of a claim. In other words, if you submit a claim, if somebody was at fault. Uh, and if you want, we can go through an example. This, I can tell you this has been absolutely a hit. Uh, there is no obligation. You're not, you know, this is, there's no database that's recording people's names or information because we're not asking for any names or contact information. It's simply right. out there to provide this, this uh, information, which a lot of personal injury lawyers are not comfortable 
providing because they don't want to promise anything. Well, I'm not promising anything. That's why it's a range. It's a range. And, and what I'm doing here, what we're doing is we're telling you that we've researched uh, cases across the country, similar fact scenarios, f- similar people with injuries. And uh, we, when you input the information, it goes through a, a, an algorithm, a routine, uh, and it spits out uh, an average, a range of the types of damages you could be entitled to that, uh, you know, that, that we've gathered from thousands and thousands of cases across the country. Let's run through one quickly. Let's go. So sure. we're clicking on injurycalculator.ca. You're using this just like anybody would in their, uh, you know, on their laptop, in their bathrobe, in their kitchen, right? Absolutely, yep, yeah. Gotcha. Get started. You're putting the accident date. So let's put in uh, October of last year. Uh, accident location. Let's put Toronto. How old are you? Let's say you're 35. Cause of your injury, car accident, slip and fall. Let's say slip and fall. Okay, slip the winter season is yeah. coming. We usually do car, let's do slip and fall. Let's do slip and fall. Uh, who was at fault for the accident? Well, you. someone else was. Yeah. Uh, did the injury affect your income? Let's yes. say yes. And then it's going to ask you, what was the impact? Uh, are you not working at all? Are you working less hours? I'm uh, working fewer hours. How fewer about hours. That? Yep. Okay, clicking on that. Now it's going to ask me, uh, select the category that best describes your main injury. Back. Back. Okay, you're jumping right to it. No wonder so, why. I'm oh. <laughs> Right, your poor back, John. Uh, do you have a tear, uh, a, a ligament tear or muscle? Do you have a disc bulge or fracture? Disc bulge is perfect. Bulge. Yeah. Well, it's not perfect, but for this case, it's perfect. Yeah. It is, it Don't is. wish that upon anybody. That's right. All That's right. right. Now, do you, do, do you experience severe chronic pain? Yes, yes. or no? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm clicking on that. So now it says to me, here's what the page actually states. According okay. to our survey of Canadian cases, you may be entitled to 50000 to 72000 uh, dollars for your pain and suffering. Okay, now now let's let's describe the difference in the the high and the low. Right. Okay. So so as we've discussed before, different injuries affect people in different sure. ways. You can have the same back injury or the same fracture or a tear of a ligament, uh, but it affects people differently depending uh, on their age, uh, depending what kind of work they do, uh, depending on the type of health that they're in. Uh, and so what what you know generally we see in in, um, in in legal cases is that depends on the impact uh, that 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 will dictate whether or not you're going to be in the lower damages award okay. range or the higher and, and I can tell you that even in cases where there are no broken bones you see there's a misconception out there that to have a case and to get uh, money for pain and suffering when somebody else causes you an injury you have to have a broken bone you, you have to have a to- yeah. exactly that's not the case we've had cases with chronic pain meaning neck pain, back pain, you know, severe debilitating pain like that, uh, where, where damages for pain and suffering have run up to over $100,000 just for the pain and suffering. Hmm. And I say just because, as we've discussed before, this range here that this online tool provides you is only for your pain and suffering. What if you can't work? What if you're working less hours? That's above and beyond. Perhaps you used to make $2,000 more in overtime per month, and after the accident, you can't do that and you're 50 years old, and you would have worked until you're 70 years old. So now you're looking at $2,000 times 20 years, right? right? And that's going to give you a potential income loss into the future, but that's above and beyond your pain and suffering damages. So again, very important people to understand, this online tool provides you an idea of what you could potentially be expecting to get if somebody was responsible for your injuries and you started a claim against them. So I got a ballpark number there. How does it, or how does it transfer over to contacting you? Can I just click? Uh, so, so when you actually get the results, uh, there's a section there where you can click, uh, there's a button you can click, submit results for a free and confidential consultation. And what happens is I get that email uh, personally, it goes into my personal email box, and I contact you, and we have a chat, or we have an email discussion, whatever it is, however way you want to communicate with mm-hmm. me, and we discuss your case, we discuss uh, the likelihood of, of success, we, which you know generally is, is fairly high because people understand that 
you know, if they were the cause of their own misfortune, misfortune, right? If you're in a car accident, but you caused the car accident, you're not going to get the pain and suffering that you think you right. deserve. But if somebody else was responsible and you contact me, we can definitely get you the compensation you deserve. But again, all optional, you can just click on that and, and walk away just for your own peace of 100%, mind. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no absolutely. obligations. Yeah, gotcha. the, the, the only time that I know anything about you is if you are actually actively pressing right. that submit button saying, I want to speak with you. That's the only time. We'll get to a quick email before we have a break here. This comes from Amir from Scarborough. You'll want to send uh, Savannah an email during the show or any time, other time, actually. It's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Amir says, Getting long-term disability and was told by my adjuster that I have to apply for CPP disability. Do I have to apply? That's his question. What happens if I get denied? Can the insurance company cut me off? So, Amir, that's a very good question, and it's a question that uh, often comes up in disability uh, disputes and in disability claims. Uh, essentially, most insurance policies nowadays, disability policies, mm-hmm. uh, require you to apply for, for CPP disability. Now, why is that? That's assuming that you've contributed sufficiently and you meet the criteria to receive CPP disability. But why does the long-term disability insurance company want you to do it? Why are they so active in getting you to to fill out that paperwork? Very simple reason, because they have an offset provision likely in the policy that says that if you get from CPP a thousand bucks a month, that's a thousand dollars less than we have to pay you. So if we were paying you two thousand dollars a month for your long-term disability, you've applied to CPP disability, you get a thousand bucks from them, that means we only have to pay you a thousand dollars. Now, here's the interesting part. So, of course, people say, well, okay, if they're the ones getting the benefit, why should I bother? Well, you should bother because, first of all, it's a requirement under your policy. And second of all, if you're coming to me, generally it's because you've been cut off. So if you're trying to calculate a settlement or trying to resolve your claim, the insurance company is going to take into account a potential deduction for CPP disability into the future. So That's if, good for you. Well, it, it's good for you if you've applied for it okay. and you're receiving it. But if you said, I'm not going to apply for it, and they're still deducting it from a potential settlement, you're, you're going to be shortchanged. Yeah. The other thing to consider is this, and this is really, really important and interesting. If you apply and get approved for CPP disability, that's one more argument you have with the insurance company to tell them, listen, you shouldn't be cutting me off. Clearly, CPP disability recognizes yeah. that I am disabled. And by the way, it's not easy to get CPP disability. So it's actually in your interest to get gotcha. the CPP disability because that's, you got more ammo. If you it got comes more time, ammo, right? exactly. Yeah. It's very persuasive. We'll take a uh, short break, get to some car accident questions because it will soon be that time of year with the temperature dropping. The snow is going to be falling very shortly. Uh, 416 216 5910 is Savan's number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here, Talk Radio, AM 640. Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savan's number is easy to write down. And remember, 416-216-5910. Call them anytime. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. One, again, is some uh, car accident questions because you know these will be flooding your office, right? It's just the time of year. They do, and they always it's do. when it happens. Uh, first one, pedestrians are often struck by cars. We know that. Is the driver responsible if the pedestrian was jaywalking? Excellent question. Is that even a term anymore? Is that the 70s? I was jaywalking. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, call it what you want. The point is that uh, there are cross walks and a lot of times people uh, don't use them and so the question becomes well who's at fault yes. if a car especially you know when it, when it's late at night and, and you can't see the person you know it really depends on the facts of the case but what i can tell you is this that if you are a pedestrian and you're not crossing where you're supposed to be crossing and the car hits you there's there's a very high chance that when a claim is filed and we start the process there's going to be some kind of a split in liability What does that mean? Liability is a a legal term that we lawyers use to effectively say who's at fault. Uh, And and that's the question. Think about this from a common sense standpoint. The person's not walking where they should be walking. 
but then the question is, well, wait a second, should the driver have seen that person? Mm. Maybe they're not walking where they should, but maybe it's all lit up. Maybe it's uh, Young and Dundas. I don't know. Right. right? So, so the question becomes, well, could the driver have avoided the accident? So you're probably going to be looking at some kind of a split liability, split fault situation. What does that mean? It means that if the pedestrian who was struck starts a claim for his or her injuries, let's say the claim is worth $100,000. Okay we could potentially resolve that claim on a 50-50 basis, saying, you know what, it's 50% his fault and 50% his fault, or her on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's the way to look at it, is that every case is very specific on its facts. It's never a black, well, it's almost never black and white. Uh, we almost always have these kinds of arguments, and we oftentimes see it as well with, uh, with children. You know, when children run out to the street to get a ball or something like that, what happens? Who's at fault here? Are the parents at fault, perhaps, right. uh, you know, for not supervising the kids? But again, not a black and white situation. Uh, so if a person's not using the, the crosswalk or not walking where they're supposed to when they're struck, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily at fault themselves, but doesn't mean that the other side, the, the driver, is 100% at fault either. I'll put another layer on it then. The jaywalker is jaywalking, but the person driving the car who struck them is distracted. They're down, got their head down, they're texting, they're on the phone doing something else because that's going to start rearing its ugly head more and more now too, even with the laws, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and again, that's something that we see, uh, we see often. Uh, again, distracted driving. Uh, and, and just generally, you know, you have people in the car with you. You're not necessarily paying attention. You're not expecting someone to dart out. Uh, so the analysis is going to be the same except that if there is going to be some proof uh, or some evidence that the driver was not paying attention. So, for example, let's say they were charged with distracted driving. Uh, that's going to probably shift the fault analysis, the liability analysis, more towards the pedestrian. Again, every case to be decided on its facts. Uh, and, and really, you never really know until you see what evidence comes out. You know, when you speak to witnesses, when you, when you uh, interview the individual who's obviously making the claim, when you interview the driver, every case is different. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's almost never black and white. You almost always have contradictory uh, um, uh, information and stories. So you're saying that if the person was distracted, more the fault goes towards the pedestrian? Uh, no, the fault goes uh, more towards the uh, the driver. Okay, God, I thought right? I heard because you incorrectly. I'm like, wait, that no, makes no, 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 no sense. Okay. No, no, no. It actually, it, it shifts in the favor of the pedestrian. Oh, favor, so if, okay. if I misspoke, I'm sorry. No, it, it shifts in favor of the pedestrian. But again, it all depends on the case. It all depends right. on how much proof you have uh, that the driver was in fact distracted. Well, you mentioned contradiction. How about when it's late at night or uh, you know a very rural area and there's no witnesses? It's he said, he said, she said, or he said, he said. Yeah, and contradictory you know, stories. Right, right. and that, that's often the case. Uh, not even with pe- just pedestrians, but just generally, you have contradicting. Um, stories. But in a pedestrian situation, this is also interesting about our laws here. When you have uh, a collision between two cars or three cars or four cars, uh, it's who that's believed. It's, it's who's more believable. That's really the question. That's, that's how we assess you know, the value of the case in terms of fault. It's who's more credible and the documentation we have in terms of property damage. But what happens when you have a pedestrian versus a car? Yes. Well, when you have a pedestrian versus a car, we actually have what's called a reverse onus. And what does that mean? It means that automatically under the law, the driver is presumed to be at fault unless the driver can show that he or she is not at fault for some reason. And that's very, very different than saying, we don't know who's at fault. We have to investigate, listen to the parties, and make a determination. If you have a pedestrian versus a car situation, then it's automatically presumed that the driver is at fault unless the driver can show that he or she is not at fault. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Got uh, an email here 
from uh, Laura and Markham says, I slipped on water in a grocery store about a month ago. Turns out the meat freezer was not working properly, according to the manager. I broke my right hip and dislocated my shoulder. Ouch. I had surgery on my hip, and my husband had to take time off to take care of me. I have an appointment for next week for the adjuster to come out to my house to take a statement. Should I prepare in advance? Well, your preparation, Laura, should be to just give me a call. You right. do not meet with adjusters on your own. And I know that a lot of people do it, despite the fact that I keep talking about it, and other lawyers keep saying, do not meet with adjusters on your own. People still do it, and that's fine. I mean, if you want to do it, you can do it. Just understand that the adjuster is coming in uh, representing the insurance company of whoever caused the incident. So in this case, you're in the grocery store. It's the adjuster from the insurance company representing the store. And what is the interest of this adjuster in this insurance company? Save them money. Save money to pay you as little as possible or perhaps even pay you nothing. So really, they just, they're going to be nice. They're going to be cordial, as they should be, except that in, the, in a way that's misleading. And it's, it's interesting, John. A lot of times when I have people coming to me saying, you know, I met with this adjuster, I gave a statement, uh, and other adjusters saying they don't want to pay anything, I, I always shake my head and I say, okay, well, do you have a copy of that statement? Let me see what you, what you said. Because oftentimes, they will ask you to sign your statement. And, of course, you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I just gave this information. It looks right. Everything looks uh, proper. Right. I'll sign it. Except that perhaps there is a word that's said, perhaps there is something that you said in the way you said it uh, that could be interpreted in a way against you uh, or, or shield the, uh, the insurance company or the defendant, the, the, the grocery store in this case. The language is so important, right? The language is very, very important. And, and you know, it, it's, I can't tell you how many times people have approached me and I've seen these statements and I said, you know, I can't, I can't help you. Before you, you had signed the statement, uh, I, you know, I, I could have explained away this ambiguity that you, know, you have here. But oftentimes... You dig your own grave, right? You, 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 yeah. do. you do. Because you think to yourself, you know, I'm going to have to pay a lawyer and I'm going to have to do this and I'm afraid of lawyers and lawyers are, you know, I'm not going to use any, uh, any bad language here on air, but, you know, people they're call shifty. lawyers, they're shifty, yeah, yeah, to say the least. At the end of the day, uh, the, the, the risk that you're running by meeting with a professional like, like an insurance adjuster who knows how to do their job. Yeah, you're outgunned. Uh, you're outgunned. That's all they do. Yeah. And, and what I would tell you, Laura, is that you're talking about a very severe injury, okay? A hip fracture, very severe. Your husband had to take time off to take care of you. Uh, that means he's entitled to damages as well, okay? Compensation under the Family Law Act. Give me a call. Uh, we'll just chat on the phone briefly. I'll give you your options. I'll tell you what you need to know. And if you still want to meet the adjuster on your own, by all means, it's your decision. It's your prerogative. And I should mention as well, before we take a break, that Savannah did work on the other side of the table for many years in the insurance, yes. so you know exactly what you're talking about. You've been there. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savan's number outside of show hours. It's his personal number. Uh, 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some emails uh, again a little later on. Questions of uh, serious injury and death. It's getting dark in here. Uh, what do insurance companies do consider to be serious injuries? Let's do that. And is just brain injuries or spine injuries, or is it going to be a lot less than that? That's an excellent question. I know I say that about every question you ask, John, but this is well, really you know. an excellent question. <laughs> and it's a very good question for a very simple reason. The word serious means something different to every person. And, and I, I say that uh, not only in terms of people who are themselves experiencing the injury, but perhaps the family members are seeing the injury that their loved one has suffered mm-hmm. as serious, and other people think, oh, wait a second, uh, you know, this is just a little bit of back pain. You know, you should be able to go back to work full-time, yep. no problem. So, you know, the word serious is very misleading because it's so personal, it's so subjective. Uh, and what I would say is this, that 
uh, it's not just brain injuries and it's not just spine injuries and it's not just a broken bone or a tear. I've, I, I, you know, sometimes I bring the example of this, this one client that I had years ago uh, who uh, she, she was walking outside of, of her uh, condominium and she slipped and fell on ice and she fractured one of her vertebrae. And, uh, you know, you say that, you know, the person broke their back literally. Yeah. And you're thinking, wow, this is serious. And it was serious, except that she was back at work full time within a few weeks. Really? Yeah. So what I'm telling you is, you know, did the claim resolve for hundreds of thousands of dollars? Yes, it did. But, you know, what's serious to her, it's not necessarily as serious to someone else and, so, and, and vice versa. And, and I, I have situations where I have, um, I have some clients, and almost every personal injury lawyer will, will be able to give you examples, where you have some people who perhaps have had a not-so-severe accident, but it set off. Uh, over time, got worse, right? Over time, it got worse. Perhaps the person was susceptible to this injury because they had other conditions right. that culminated, and this thing, you know, just just uh, sparked. So, uh, what happens in fire. that case? And in those cases, you have people who become completely debilitated as a result of what we call a soft tissue injury, meaning a back pain that doesn't go away, that doesn't allow you to stand for more than ten minutes or sit for more than ten minutes. And I, I've literally had cases where. It wasn't even the physicality of it. It was the psychological aspect. Right, I was about aspect, to say that, yeah. Right? Stuff you can't see. Right, exactly. A lot of times you have the interplay between the psychological and the physical. And, of course, I debate that with all of my uh, defense lawyer friends because from their standpoint, oh, it's psychological. You should be able to go back to work no time. I mean, this is, you know, the person's malingering. The person is, is just, uh, you know, trying to make a buck. And I'm telling you that if I saw that with a client, I've dropped clients like that before. I've, I've told them, I said, listen, I'm not interested in, in screwing the system. I'm not interested in, in simply having a name out there of someone who's advancing cases when I know that those cases are not valid. Right. And, and you have cases with chronic pain, uh, which, by the way, has both a physical and a psychological uh, uh, elements, yep. uh, where these cases, just the pain and suffering aspect of the case is worth over $100,000, let alone the fact that they have income losses that project way higher than that. So you can have chronic pain cases, meaning nothing's broken, Nothing's torn, and yet those cases may potentially resolve for you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And that's just a fact out there, and almost every personal injury lawyer out there who does this kind of work will back me up on that. Worst case scenario, somebody passes away, someone dies from their injuries or accident. What are the family rights as far as compensation is concerned? And that's something that occasionally I do see, and, and very, very tragic, uh, and you have to handle that really with kid gloves. First of all, there are going to be certain benefits from uh, uh, the person's own insurance company, the deceased person's insurance company. Uh, they can get funeral benefits, etc. Uh, but, you know, under the, uh, the legislation, the Family Law Act, uh, family members of a deceased person can make a claim under that act for the loss of care, guidance, and companionship. Uh, they can make a claim for the fact that they've lost a father, they've lost a mother, a son, a daughter. Believe it or not, uh, those cases, from a value standpoint, they're not nearly uh, worth as much from a financial standpoint, from an economic standpoint, as, as if the person was still alive. Uh, and that's just uh, you know, a tragedy in our justice system. But that's just the reality that uh, you know, family members are able to get compensation. It's just not as much. I'm not saying it's going to be a few bucks, right? But I'm saying that uh, y- y- you're, dealing, you're dealing with people who are grieving but the system recognizes that there is not on, no ongoing uh, um, uh, economic loss. Unless, of course, you're dealing in a situation where, uh, let's say, it's, it's a husband that was Yeah, the up, breadwinner of the right, family. If right. you have, absolutely. And if you have those situations, absolutely, you can get uh, a, a component of whatever money they were bringing into the family that can get calculated. 
and, and, and that's something that we deal with. But generally speaking, from a pain and suffering standpoint, uh, the family members are able to, to get compensation against the at-fault party or their insurance company uh, through the Family Law Act. We'll take a short break. We'll get to an email, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Savan's number, 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640, 416-216-5910. That is Savan's direct number, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for an email. Just like this from Jordan in, uh, in North York says, I was driving up in the 404 last May, and an 18-wheel truck, tractor-trailer, cut me off, and I was panicked. And press on the brake hard, which caused the driver behind me, boom, to hit me very hard. Re-render. I've been uh, a mess since then. Can't drive to work, and my back is killing me. I think I'm uh, about to. St- I'm thinking about starting a claim, but I don't know against two, the truck driver or the guy who hit me from behind. Doesn't know which one. Okay, so we have that happen uh, uh, often as well, especially on the highway, uh, when you have people cutting people off or you have something unexpected happen. Uh, Jordan, the answer here is that the claim would be against both. It would be against the, the truck driver uh, who uh, cut you off, and that, that's why you had to press the brakes. Uh, clearly, this is not one of those situations where you were trailing someone and just didn't keep enough distance. This is somebody cutting you off. And, of course, uh, it would be also a claim against whoever was going uh, driving behind you because clearly they were not uh, keeping sufficient distance. Right. Uh, it, it, there's going to be some kind of a, of, a, of a split liability, split fault situation that perhaps comes out of this as the case progresses and you end up going to a mediation to resolve it. What does that mean? It means that in a case like this, Jordan, when you have two defendants, two insurance companies, when you end up going to a mediation and you're saying, here are my damages, here's what I'm asking for, when there are these negotiations going on, you have two parties, you have two insurance companies, and your position is going to be, here are my damages, you defendants decide amongst yourself how you're going to split that up. And what's going to happen on the other side of the table or in a different room, because you're not going to be in the same room as them, uh, those insurance companies, the adjusters and their lawyers, uh, they're going to argue as against each other who's more at fault. And they may decide between themselves that it's a 50-50 or a 75-25 apportionment of fault. Uh, And of course, then they're going to try and negotiate with you on the damages. But the point is that in your case, uh, you would be wise, your lawyer would be wise, to start the claim against both the truck driver, if he, cut if you he, off. If you know who he is. If you know who he is, exactly. Absolutely. As well as against whoever rear-ended you uh, in, in, in the first place. Yeah, because that guy was probably forced to stick around because he slammed into the back of your car, but the truck driver may just whoop right up the highway and, and never see him again. That's very possible. You know what happens in those situations is it comes down to the credibility of the person making the claim. I mean, if you're saying somebody cut you off, I, I see this actually quite often with somebody who says, I've, I was cut off. And, and, and I, you know, swerved and yeah. ran into the ditch, uh, just, you know, flew into the ditch. Mm-hmm. And, and then the question becomes, well, do you have any witnesses? Do you have anybody that can attest to the fact that there was another party that caused the accident? Because that's going to dictate how we deal with your claim. Again, very important, very fact-specific. That's exactly why uh, you go to a personal injury lawyer who specializes in this area uh, to get this information. Let's talk about settlements then, since we're almost at that point. Do you have uh, people calling you after they've settled for a second opinion? Like, what did I get? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What so, do you tell them? So, John, this was uh, this happened a few times, uh, you know, in the past, uh, and since we started the show last year, I've been getting so many calls like that, and you know, it's uh, you do another show, obviously, uh, with with cars, where somebody calls uh, your host and says, "Well, you know, did I get a good deal on this car that I it's bought? Like, yeah, why would I? Yeah. Why would you call me now after the fact? Well, let me deal with this uh, specifically for people out there. Uh, you don't call me after you settle. 
first of all, you don't need my opinion after you settle because it's done. And number two, you probably don't want my opinion after it's done. And more often than not, I've had to uh, break the bad news to people. And then I spend, believe it or not, half an hour on the phone, uh, them trying to convince me that somehow we can get away from signing uh, this, this, these documents, that, that, that we can somehow undo the settlement, yeah. break away from the settlement. And I break it to them that, no, you can't. You had a lawyer or a paralegal. You had somebody with you. This was a structured process. You had agreed to the deal with the insurance company. You signed on a dotted line. That's it. It's done. There are, the, the, the circumstances where you can undo that they're just they're exceptional circumstances certainly not when you have a lawyer with you who's advising you and of course some people say well my lawyer pressured me to settle uh, and and you know I had no choice that's no that it doesn't work that way really and, and think about this if it worked that way if if that was an excuse that would be it would have been allowed settlements would have no value insurance company would have no way of guaranteeing that the deal that they made with you that day would uphold and and, and so you know, you call me before the settlement. You call me before you reach that stage, not after. You're gonna, you're just gonna get depressed. As far as the settlement's concerned, who makes that final decision? Is it the client or the lawyer saying this is what we're taking? The client, uh. the client. And, and you know, I, 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 oftentimes when I speak with people and I explain them the process, this is just during our first meeting. I tell them, look, I am like the GPS here. Okay, I'm gonna show you the route. I'm gonna explain to you how we're gonna get there. But you're the one who's going to press the gas. You're also going to be the one to press the brakes if you want to stop at any point. Mm-hmm. Not the lawyer. Oftentimes, the lawyers are the ones who are clearly uh, uh, driving the litigation. And I let, let me let me back up. When when I did defense work and worked for insurance companies, when I would go to a mediation, uh, and so I would be uh, negotiating with a plaintiff lawyer. So my client would have to discuss with me in confidence how much we're going to end up paying this individual who's making the claim. One of the things that we would be interested in during the mediation is figuring out who is driving the case. Is it the plaintiff's lawyer or is it their client? And and that's very, very important because if it's the lawyer that's driving the litigation, then that could be a problem because lawyers oftentimes have huge egos. And oftentimes they won't make a decision that is in the best interest of their client. And so uh, if it's the clients, the clients obviously have to be educated and have to know what all their options are. And so when I represent someone, I tell them from the beginning until the end, you are going to be involved in every step. And there, there's a lot of rationales for that. But the key thing is this. If we're at a mediation or, or at a settlement conference, you are going to be presented with whatever numbers we're able to negotiate. And then I'm going to tell you, here's what I think about your case. Here's where I think that number that we've just been able to negotiate falls within that range, and here are my recommendations. You either settle it for that nu- for that number, you don't settle it for that number, uh, or you instruct me to do something else. But you will advise if it's a strong case saying, I think you should probably I do. always advise. I never yeah. take a hands-off approach. I never right. tell you, well, just do whatever you want. I never say that. I never say that. I will give you my recommendation. It's either going to be a, you should you should accept this, or it should be, you should not accept this, and I've said that before as well, or it should be, you should instruct me to reject it, but only temporarily. Let me see if I can negotiate something else with the other side, because I have a sense that perhaps this is not the end of the road. But then the final decision is still with the client. It's with the you client. You take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? You got it. You yeah. got it, 100%. Yeah. And that's key. That's key, because a lot of times people call me up, and, and again, they tell me, you know, I was pressured by my lawyer. The lawyer is pressuring me. They're telling me this. They told me that. They told my wife this. And, you know, it's not ethical, it's not moral, and, and frankly, it's not fair. 
We'll take a short break. 416-216-5910. That's Savan's number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. A little more to go here. Keep listening. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio. AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email here in just a, a few minutes. So we're talking about settlements, though. And uh, next question for you. How long does it take? This is a question you probably get all the time. How long does it take for the money to get to the client after the settlement's been concluded? Okay, well, that varies on the case. If it's a disability case or a personal injury case or if you have five insurance companies or not, generally speaking, in my experience, when we settle these kinds of cases, you're talking um, two, three, four weeks maximum. Keep in mind that when the money comes in, it comes to the, fa- to, to, to the uh, firm in trust. It has to be made out. Well, it doesn't have to be, but generally it, it's, it's made out to the firm in trust, mm. goes into their trust account, has to clear the bank. Uh, and then the firm uh, disperses the funds accordingly. They write a check to you. They write a check to anybody else that you know the the money's owed. So generally speaking, you're looking at anywhere between two to four weeks, in my experience. Question for you again: Any tips for people about to settle a case? Yes, yes. I got. Uh, I, I have. I have three of them, uh, and these are golden rules. Number one: Make sure you understand how the settlement amount was arrived at. So if your lawyer comes to you and says. Uh, all I could get for you was fifty thousand dollars, or a hundred thousand, or two, or three, or four hundred thousand dollars. Your next question is, how did you get to that right. number? And don't let them just brush this off. You have to understand how the money was arrived at. Oftentimes, there is a logic behind it, especially when you're dealing with, I would say, quote unquote, smaller numbers, meaning twenty-five thousand, fifty thousand. You may be shocked, right? You may be shocked. Exactly. Perhaps not everything was taken into account. That's also a big complaint that I see. You know, well, did you consider the fact that I owe this clinic this money? What about the fact that I owe my neighbor money for you know doing my uh, my snow clearing for the last two years? Yeah, exactly. So make sure you understand how the the settlement amount was arrived at. Uh, Number two. Uh, and this is really important. Believe it or not, I have to say it. Make sure you know how much you are getting, okay? How much the legal fees are, how much the expenses are, how much the, the tax is. Make sure you know the breakdown. Make sure you know the breakdown. Very, very important. And why do I say that? Because I've heard of, of uh, outrageous cases uh, where the lawyer's cut somehow was the lion's share of the settlement, now, maybe there was a logic to it. Maybe, I don't know, they, I have no idea how they came up with that, but th- that's not how it's generally done. The lawyer's fees are usually a certain percentage, mm-hmm. uh, a certain percentage of, of the overall amount. Uh, there are expenses, which, which generally are covered by the insurance company, not the individual. Uh, of course, there's tax, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you understand uh, not only the breakdown of how the settlement no- amount was arrived at, but how much you're actually getting in your pocket right. at the end of the day. Uh, and number three, make sure you are comfortable uh, with the overall amount and, of course, how much you're getting. Make sure that if you uh, have any reservations, you ask your lawyer to explain it again and again. Consult perhaps with a family member, with a trusted friend. Make sure that you are comfortable because once you sign on the dotted line, you have made a deal. It's a bargain. It's done. Don't call me afterwards asking me if it was a good deal or not because you've already agreed to it. Yeah. It is what it is. So those are the three tips. Make sure you know how the settlement amount was arrived at, how much you're getting in your pocket, and make sure you are comfortable with these amounts. Is your settlement, whether it's 100 bucks or 100000 A, is it fully taxable under the CRA, and B, is it usually paid out in a lump sum or installments? Uh, generally speaking, in personal injury actions, you're going to get a lump sum. Okay. Uh, it's not going to be in installments, uh, and uh, it's not taxable because um, 
un- under our guidelines, uh, the, the, the CRA rules, uh, damages for personal injury, particularly pain and suffering, they're not taxable. Uh, I, you know, I always tell my clients, you know, just to cover my butt, obviously, make sure you check with your accountant. But yeah. the answer is always the same. These settlements are non-taxable. Now, that's a bit different uh, for long-term disability claims because in those cases, it depends on the type of policy you had. It depends if you were paying into the policy, right. or it depends if your employer was paying into it. Uh, we can talk about that in a different time. But yep. with personal injury actions, car accident, trip and fall, slip and fall, uh, the amounts of settlements that you're getting, they're not taxable generally. We'll get to a final email here before we uh, wrap for the day. This comes from Annie here in Toronto. Says, I've been in an accident about a year and a half ago and suffered a bad concussion. I also have chronic pain from a car accident a few years back. I've been receiving long-term disability but recently my insurance company sent me to a doctor who said that I should be able to go back to work to my old job as an IT tech, but I can't. They said that my benefits will stop on April 10th, 2016. How can I change their minds? This is typical, right? It's very typical. Annie, just give me a call. Give me a call. Just like the case that we started off that I was talking about uh, when we started the show today, uh, a lot of times when people come to me before the cutoff dates, I can prevent the cutoffs. I can simply communicate with the adjuster and provide the adjuster with the information and documentation that they need. Sometimes I can't avert the uh, the cutoff, but what I can do is I can immediately react. And keep in mind what I've been saying uh, for, for quite a few shows when we've been discussing this. If the insurance company does something that they're not allowed to do or that we say that uh, is, is improper, uh, what we can do is start a claim against them, and that starts the clock. It means they have to respond. It means that they know that they're going to have to at some point make a payout if, in fact, the cutoff was deemed to be improper. And oftentimes, it is deemed to be improper. So, Annie, give me a call. Oftentimes, not difficult to resolve. Uh, I I know that just dealing with the adjusters is going to be extremely stressful, probably is extremely stressful, uh, affects your health. It doesn't have to. Just let me and my team deal with it. We do this every day. That's all we do. Uh, And and for us, it's not a big deal. For you, you know, one call with the adjuster may may just put you out the whole day. It doesn't have to be like that. Just you starting a claim, does that hold off being cut off? No, not necessarily. Usually, we we start a claim when the person has already been cut off. Right. Okay, so us starting a claim is now us putting a gun to the insurance company's head saying, pay up or else. And that's what usually happens uh, when we start these claims is there is an eventual resolution. Okay, Uh, no, I can't actually prevent them from cutting you off because they're the ones sending the checks. I can't go to the person who's, you know, literally uh, uh, cutting the check and saying, you know, continue doing it. But what I can do is I can put amazing amount of pressure on the insurance company to either change their minds and not do it or if they do it to hit them back and hit them back hard. Do it for another week, my friend. Good uh, good show. Savan at theinsurancelawyer.ca or simply help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send him an email. His phone is always on. Take a message. Take a text. Take the number down, 416-216-5910. And don't forget to check out injurycalculator.ca. It'll give you a rough amount for pain and suffering if you've been in an accident. It's a really, really handy tool. You can check it out right now. We'll do it for another week here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM 640.